Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the there is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Alicia's only got a one-hour parking spot. Let's get this podcast <laughs> recorded. <laughs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It's so nice to be back to talk about the stupid, the sublime and the social. In football, we're all synced up and ready to go. I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Felicity Race. Alicia Pump sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to be back. We are midway through the AFLW season and if you were to calculate it, we wouldn't because we're not that good at maths. Um, it's about round 13 if it was the AFLM. <laughs> oh, is that when weird? they do the split round okay. normally, isn't it? That's when they break it probably, up. Probably, yeah, mm. it probably is. But by now you would usually have um, like that ladder predictor. Mm. We don't yes. have that. Um, by now, like by now, people would be talking about trades. Mm. They'd be wanting to sack some coaches, maybe. Anyway, there might be some AFLW actually on the front page of the Age too. You'd think at this point in the season. <laughs> True. Yeah, a story that's not was... about someone getting denied access to one of the gates. Right. Like that Susan Alberti story that made the front page, but it wasn't really about football, was it? Anyway, I've done enough talking. How did you say uh, see the reflections on the round, Kate? <laughs> oh, well, it was a great. Round of football, actually, and some really unexpected um, results. Probably the GWS Adelaide game was, for me, the game of the season so far because it was fought in really, really difficult conditions. I think I tweeted out that, you know, it seems like almost every game of the AFLW is played in apocalyptic (laughs) conditions and that tradition continued with that match. Um, But, yeah, obviously the very big result of the round was the Friday night game with the Western Bulldogs winning in a very big um, way by over Carlton and uh, their percentage is through the roof now and that really, I think, might set the tone for the rest of the season. Can I ask you a really dumb question? When there's a draw no. in your mind, <laughs> we're full of dumb questions here, when there's a draw, do you kind of go, yeah, it's a draw, but they actually won? Like, do you think someone deserved the two points more than someone else deserved the two points? Because who did you all... Because I thought GWS. Yeah, I thought GWS mm. should have yeah? got the points. Well, I I mean, I think sometimes when another team wins, I think that's really unfair that we deserve to win. Yeah. So <laughs> that's true. It would make sense. And I don't think yeah. you can give people points on spirit. Like, I, as much as I'd like to, I think it's actually in the end got to be on the board. We should have participation awards, though. We should have more of them. Is it like getting one hand wet... <laughs> And then you have to get the other hand wet? Or is that just me? I hate unevenness. I kick my ankles. If I kick one ankle, I have to kick the other one. (laughs) This is not therapy, girls. Okay, let's move (laughs) on. It kind of is, actually. Um, Yes, Lucy. Well, my reflections, I I go with the three R's. Rain, records, and in brackets, lack of results. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, like, we had extreme weather. So we had two games played in driving rain. We had one game played in excessive heat. We had records falling, so Ed Marinoff, 21 tackles, which broke the record for 
all games of AFL, M and W. And we had Brooke kick seven goals. We had a record-winning margin. So that was pretty awesome. And I think the highest score kicked, the kicked highest in score AFL kicked, w yeah. Yeah. Of, of all time. I, I, I feel like this is something we need to, um, that the coaches need to start really factoring in, in is weather, how that's such a big influencer on, on the game. But my take out, the fabulous results, some of them, and, and frustrating ones, others. But one little thing I read about, um, Brooke Lachlan's obviously did the brilliant seven games, but she goals. had a little tribute, uh, seven goals. Mm. Yeah, well, she's probably played seven games too, but she <laughs> no, she hasn't actually. She hasn't. <laughs> Smart ass. Um, she had a little tribute to the injured Bulldogs players. Uh, she had D K and I written on her hand, on the back of her hand, um, as a way of kind of lifting. And each of the goals were were kicked for her teammates who were injured. So that's for Isabel um, Huntington, Katie Brennan, and Daria Bannister. So two goals each and one to make you grow. Yeah, <laughs> which she could do with. Let's be honest. How good was it, though, to see? I was completely gobsmacked to see Bree Davey and Izzy Huntington at the game, mm. given that they both had surgery that week. And Kate, uh, Katie Brennan was there on crutches as well. And But to see, I think Izzy had got out of hospital the Friday morning and was there just to be there for the team is pretty amazing. And so many rising stars out of the Bulldogs too. Mm. I'm just so impressed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really my takeaway from the round is just how impressive the Bulldogs were. You're such a Bulldog. Have you noticed? (laughs) They might even let me in the gate if I turn up on the weekend. Can I say something really controversial? (laughs) I want to say something really... I I I feel like this is a mean thing to say, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't think Brooke Lachlan will kick any more goals for the rest of the whole season. Because everyone will pile on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she will get tagged. Because in that game, she was like a little puppy who found a hole in the fence and just kept going through it no matter what. <laughs> and they're going to clog up that hole and she's going to get tagged so mm. hard. And her goals were really easy because she was breaking away from what their structure was. And, and obviously there was holes in the Carlton defence and she found them. But I don't think that that will happen again. And so I think it will be one of those shocking things. She may actually win highest goal kicker just, just based on, on one, one game. game. But Bulldogs have a lot of puppies. <laughs> they That's have a true. lot of puppies. Yeah. And yeah. many holes in the fence, apparently, because mm. Sue Alberti got in through <laughs> <laughs> Felicity, absolute gold. Can I say none of us yet have mentioned that Collingwood finally had a win? Oh, I was about to. Yes. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, Alicia. Alicia. Yes, go, please. Oh, well, to quote a famous Australian sports fan who wrote in the D's website, um, in a most un-Australian display, Eskies on the boundary line had their beers and UDLs replaced with ice vests for the players to wear, designed by Princess Elsa's frozen house of couture. That was Emma Race, of course, writing for the D's. Check it out on their website it's so funny but I mean 37 degrees at first quarter you thought this is it Collingwood have no chance whatsoever um, even though you saw the spirit there and they were, weren't making too many mistakes people like Jasmine Garner were just oh, I just have such a crush on her um, but then it all just turned around and uh, Sam Lane said it was the soundtrack of ice towels and I couldn't agree more but <laughs> it would just I mean uh, there were so many uh, amazing players Christina Bernardi being just one of the best Mo and Meg Hutchins getting her first goal and I was just pumping the air but can I say as a long-time Hawthorne supporter, yeah, Hawthorne get a lot of hate. But as a Collingwood supporter, man, people ha- – I'm, I'm 
I'm wear, walking around in their shoes. People are piling on and there's just one after the other after the other tweet saying, oh, my God, my life's over now that Collingwood have won. Jeez, is it ruining AFLW? And I'm feeling <laughs> for them. So to all you Collingwood supporters out there, I'm beating my chest for you. Wow, that is extraordinary wow, because I've a- thought about this, that especially for Richmond and Bulldog supporters, that there has to be a rewriting of what, our faces do when people go, oh, I go for Richmond. We used to all go, oh, yeah. poor things. Now we're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like we have to do a rewriting. But to actually walk in someone else's shoes, I really discovered I am a legit Carlton supporter because as great as that game was with the Bulldogs and I love so many of those players and we know them and we love them and I support them I was screaming at the TV and when Arnell kicked those two goals I was so excited and I was jumping out of my seat and my husband who is actually card carrying you know decades worth of Carlton memberships he was like Oh, you're really. <laughs> oh, you're really going there, aren't you? You're, you're really, on my side. You're really doing this, aren't you? I felt the same actually as a, a card carrying Adelaide Crow watching the the game against um, GWS. Can I just say one of the things that we've done a lot on this show is try to bring people's attention to players who you might not have heard of before, um, newer players. Um, and in in so doing, we sometimes forget that there are players who've been around for a while who just are fabulous week in, week out. And so I want to give a shout out to Chelsea Randall. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, there are so many players who played well in that game on the weekend. But Chelsea Randall, she had 15 disposals, four marks and six tackles. She was, um, in my view, a kind of game saver in across half back. So reliable, so calm and so cool in, in pressure, particularly in the last quarter. And um, we sometimes forget, as I said, those players. And so um, I just I think, wanted to um, give a little she, shout out to Chelsea. She is leading the AFLW Coaches Award at the she's moment. Fan, she's a yeah. fantastic She is, performer. And because she's in the same team as Erin um, Phillips, Phillips mm. it, beget, it gets a bit shattered. But she's so um, unbelievably athletic. Mm. I keep thinking, you know how they say that the new James Bond should be um, it, Idris, it, Elba. Idris Elba I think it actually should be Chelsea Randall <laughs> I Legitimately I think she would be an amazing James Bond, Jamie Bond maybe I think <laughs> she'd be extraordinary I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah. I have to say watching that game as well The person I couldn't oh, There were a few I couldn't take my eyes off The Alicia Eva Jess Dalpos mm, mm. midfield yes. I love Alicia had a cracking game Yes But Cora oh. Did you see Cora's shot on goal where she stood side on? <laughs> That was yes. Cool. yes. Oh, it was so cool. And yeah. I just, I loved watching her. I love, uh, I didn't realise that she has three children and I didn't realise that she's the age that she is. So she's 36. Um, I also didn't realise she's, you know, we know she's played Gaelic football. She's also played soccer yes. and rugby union. Yes. Yeah, she's she's what a legend. She's and a really, a really mm. good player. She's a superstar in her country that, like, she can't walk mm. down the street. She, Someone said to us, she is like Lee Matthews. Right, wow. Like, she yeah. is like the actual She was great in those sport. conditions, wasn't she? She really knew how to play in that mm. wet, um, bef- better bef- than the others, it seemed. Can I just say, before we leave the GWS Adelaide game, I just want to throw something out there. A shout out to Giggs, who's um, a listener um, to this show and who tweets us quite a bit. He tweeted on the weekend that the GWS Giants, that's the men's and women's team combined, have now drawn four games in the last 53 weeks, which has to be some kind of record. Um, And on our radio show on the weekend, I mentioned actually that GWS and Adelaide were playing that game at Blacktown. 
and that GWS had previously drawn yeah. there. They won and drew there last year. That was their only wins and or draws for the for the season. Um, and so I checked the, the the fixture, and I can see that in the final round, GWS do play Brisbane again at that ground and that could be a very very important game so (laughs) (laughs) exactly you heard it here first what do you think of the draw because I think Astro Connor had come out this week and said that she doesn't think there should be a draw in the AFLW play on that there should be either a golden point or a five minutes extra way which like the grand final I mean we do that now we change that in the AFL Mm. men's grand final I um, like so that it. You've got an outcome, Do and you like probably it? You like part the draw, of it. The, I Lucy? like the draw because yeah. I think the ladder is so you know it's so short and it's so intense, and a draw really sort of well, changes things in a, up. In when you've had an entire game in those conditions, and both teams have only managed to to get two goals, seven onto the scoreboard, extra time could go for a really long time trying that's to get true. another point. That's yeah, that's right. That's well, I heard a story last week about it. Um, uh, Darabin game that t- took 45 minutes, but they were playing Golden Point. It took them 45 minutes to get that. So the, that's going to, that wow. would be a challenge, and especially in those conditions. But also, I thought a draw was really representative of that game. Yeah. Like, who takes the points? They were both battling it out. The one thing I really enjoyed, and this is such a sanctimous thing, and we are just going to have to make Alicia Eva the patron saint of the sanctum <laughs> because after. Um, she had played that amazing match. She got asked, "What, um, you know, what about your chances going forward?" And she looked at the interviewer and said, "I'm just not that good at maths. I can't work it out." <laughs> and I was like, "You are one of us, Alicia Eva. Welcome!" And uh, I've got a little gif of that that I will be retweeting every single time someone asks us about stats. I'll be like, "We're not that good at maths." <laughs> anyway, so who can make? Who can make the grand final? Well, Nicole? because we're not great at maths, um, I relied entirely on Girls Play Footy's piece. Um, they did a, a blog um, or at least an article and broke down who can still play. And technically, mathematically, all eight could. Oh, That's actually wow. a fact. That's actually a fact. However, I'm not going to bore you with the details of those very unlikely bottom dwellers. Um, oh. No, no. Oh. Speak oh, no, for no. Because it's literally about people standing on their left ear and, you know, like it's okay. so extreme. But so we start with the Western Bulldogs um, who are at the top at the moment with that great stonking 200%. That has set them up really nicely for um, a good run home. So technically um, two wins would guarantee them a berth um, unless they were flogged terribly. Even one could do it though uh, as long as Melbourne, Frio and Carlton lose twice more um, and GWS and Adelaide have to lose one game each. And put so, the hat on the lower pig. <laughs> exactly. Um, for Brisbane, they've got they've got a bit of a run home. They've got Melbourne which will be a great game as you said Lou um, and Collingwood and GWS who I reckon are going to be quite keen to make life hard even though they're not really in the running anymore. And that is what happened last year too where those teams that were free kind of went a little wild and and caused some upsets, um, which I think could happen again. But their two wins would be enough for Brisbane to make the grand final unless a lower side wins all three, um, you know, by like literally by the record-winning margins. But, okay, let's assume that that's still a possibility. One would get them there, but that needs to be against Melbourne. To keep them to keep Melbourne out of the the race, if um and of course the, the good news is if they finish on top, the Gab is now free to host the grand final, so we won't have that debacle of match changing, ground changing at the last minute. The Demons um have Brisbane next, as I said, Carlton and Western Bulldogs, so they've got a bit of a tough run. They're, it's a definitely a, t- a tougher ask for the Demons. They're not out of the race, but the loss to Collingwood really hurt them. They could do it with two wins, but three would nail it. Um. As long as they beat um, Brisbane and 
and Western Bulldogs. Um, a win for Melbourne by 11 points or more over Brisbane will see them claim second spot. So, but they need to beat Carlton and they need to um, – that they can still make it if they lose to the Bulldogs, but only if Frio drops a game and the Dogs lose to either Collingwood or GWS. Is anyone else feeling lost in the wilderness could you here? Graphic I started doing my shopping list. I just totally did the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> Only my, my head hurts, Nicole. Can it, can it, can it, yeah. Make it, it all right, stop. So there, there are all these teams. So basically, Frio's the only other one that might be able to make it. Um, there are all these teams below them. They're playing all teams below them, though, so that doesn't really um, mean very much. So I think what there's still plenty of game. <laughs> What's a call it for us, Nick? Who do you yeah. think is most likely? Oh, I think Brisbane. it'll be Bulldogs Brisbane. Yeah. yeah. I, and I will think, it be in Brisbane? I think it might be in Brisbane. Um, I, I can't write off the Bulldogs, but. I think Brisbane have a nicer run home. So we'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah. And the who will win can... the Academy Award for Best Picture? <laughs> <laughs> the Shape of Water. Yeah. There you go. Um, Come that, on, I that did was, that was I read. No, it was really did good. You? <laughs> we did really, you did really, a really good I job, I read Nick. them for you on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, it was Can nice. you imagine how much more interesting the whole article was than that, than what I just praised? So... I took one for the team. I feel Thank like that was Cole. when Josh John Nash is writing all those numbers on the window exactly. and I just go make a cup of tea when that happens. <laughs> oh Sorry, it was enthralling. It was. Sorry, it was great. <laughs> Obviously. It was great. There'll be some numbers people out there who really liked Spent it. ages on that. Did you? <laughs> Sorry, it's so rough. Um, so the other thing that happened this week, <laughs> I'm not going to talk any numbers, but one really weird thing happened at Carlton this week, which is their list manager resigned reportedly 24 hours before the game happened, the Carlton, you know, got flogged by the Bulldogs. And it was over the decision to pick Lauren Arnell. This is what's being reported. I'm so curious about this because in what universe does a list manager get involved at a match committee level anyway? I don't really understand that. And Maybe it's because Damien Keeping hasn't been there. I know a lot of people that work in AFLW um, in clubs, they do have to double, you know, double handle. They have to have two roles or they have to step in. And obviously Damien Keeping's not been there. So I don't know, maybe other people were stepping up. But it, it does feel like a really weird thing for a list manager to resign pre a game because someone was picked. And I just feel like there's something going on at Carlton. Mm. Um, if there's a lot of hands in the pie talking about how the game should be played, who should be picked, if everyone's having their say, I feel like that's what we're seeing on the field. Mm. And did, But they did say that it was also about the, the very aggressive recruiting of um, Taylor Harris and who else should they get? Sorry. Nick Stevens. Nick Stevens yeah. and how that they sacrificed some players who are doing really well at other clubs like well, Nat Ax- Exxon yeah, exactly. and the like. Is he taking time um, off to process. spend time with his family? Is that the... That's not the line. <laughs> yeah. no. One week at a time. Yep. No, he's gone. He's gone. Um, so anyway, I'm really mm. looking forward and hoping that Carlton will bounce back. But I do want it noted that, you know, you can battle all you want about... Um, these and we've seen this in the competition about the players who maybe um, are an older vintage and those girls are not old by any stretch of the imagination but they're talking about choosing players for speed and trying to have this faster game and that's all well and good but if you look at who kicks the goals in pressure games you see the people who have a lot of experience and while Lauren Arnell probably would agree that she didn't have a perfect game she kicked their entire score Mm -hmm. so that is it was demoralizing anyway but when the scoreboard said zero I was like this Mm -hmm. is crisis this is crisis point she kicked two goals that an experienced head 
kicks. And I think that we need to. I just want to respect our elders. Yep. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, and Big as a member, as a member of um, the Carlton women's team. Um, I would will, like, will you be stepping up? I will be stepping up for the match committee <laughs> and I will be putting Darcy Vessio on the ball. Because yes, if you can't deliver the ball cleanly to a forward and you've got two key forwards, then perhaps think about putting someone who can extract the ball on the ball, mm. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Anyone good, else? It was good to see Collingwood too, you know, with Meg Hutchins and uh, Mo Hope and, you know, some of the, the leadership team just – Kicking goals, yeah, literally. literally. Yeah, yeah, literally. Lucy? Well, I wonder if Carlton's going to rally off the back of those changes that have, you know, happened inside the club because we certainly saw Collingwood rally and, you know, there's been a bit of discussion about whether that was because of all of the chat in the media. Yeah, exactly. And then as a result of that, I mean, we talked about Kate Chan last mm-hmm. week and she yeah. was cr- really critical of um, of Collingwood and then she issued an apology to Wayne Seekman. And I feel like maybe she's had her wings clipped a little bit. And uh, certainly this week, I know we talked about her last week and Nick, you, you had a little chat about yeah. um, her and her comments. Her yeah, comments. And, yeah. and I also have really strong feelings about people who hold um, positions at footy clubs also commentating. And I've been vocal about that, you know, about you know, James Brayshaw and Eddie Maguire. And when I say vocal, just to you guys, I don't think I've ever gone with that on the pod. But, you know, I do think that I find that a real challenge. But there seemed to be a bit of a piling on. And just in light of us talking about bullying last week um, online, and I think that resonated with a lot of people, I would hate to see her continually get Mm. pilloried um, on Twitter and stuff like that because I just don't think that's really helpful. I think one of the things that I always have tried to do as a parent is to talk about the behaviour, not about the person. Mm. So, you know, Mm. criticise... The, you know, say you don't like a particular behaviour as opposed to saying I don't like you. Yeah, and, and point, yeah. you know, that was one of the things I said last week about that was my criticism about what Kate had said, that I felt that it was personal yeah, about Wayne. And maybe that was taken out of context. Go the ball, not the woman. But, but talk, about, talk about actions or, you know, behaviour or things that you want to see changed. But, yeah. And I also think it's tricky when, you know, you're dr- drawing out somebody's commentary out of context. Anything can seem ridiculous. Um, and that's what a lot of that piling on was doing. Every single thing she said pretty much got ripped apart. And, you know, God forbid anyone held us ac- that accountable for everything we say. Like, it's very difficult in that environment. And you take it out of context, anything can look, you know, in- just, inaccurate or in um, really silly. I just have uterus quotes every time, every week. There'd be a uterus or a fart joke. Or if, boobs, you say or boobs, boobs all the time. Boobs, right. Yeah, you do. And Dakim, you always say Dakim. I do, yeah. but I do that naturally. And what do you do now? The women's game. I'm like her. but it sounds so wrong. Mm. But they wear skins underneath yeah, for do. the dacking, for yeah. the purposes of dacking. Yeah, of course, yeah, exactly. So it's a milder kind of humiliation. <laughs> um, we actually talked about some pretty big topics last week, and so thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> but what was lovely, and we got lots of emails, and we got lots of um, texts, and a lot of tweets, and. Um, um, thank you for supporting us and supporting our um, soapbox dwelling because, you know, when you put it out there, you never really quite know how it will be received. And Lucy, you've formulated some thoughts off the back of some of those things. I have because last week, you know, you had us all punching the air when you talked about some of the things that we find confronting with AFLM and how for many of us the things that happen off field are as important as the things that happen on field. There's something I'd like to add to that discussion and that's the reliance that some clubs have on pokey revenue 
So this is like this is a big issue for me and I think it is for you guys in this room as well because the club that we support, Hawthorne, derives the most income from pokies revenue of any of the AFL clubs, um, $23.29 million in the last financial year. And for the purposes of, you know, what I'm talking about today, I've really just focused on the Victorian clubs. It's not because I'm being parochial. It's just that, you know, that information was all readily available and maybe I'm a bit slack. But um, (laughs) we've talked about this issue before, but I wanted to raise it again just in light of what you said and also some of the stuff Kate said about actions that we can take. So what's the state of play? So in the big picture... I don't know if you're across it, but in the current state election, Tasmanian Labor leader Rebecca White has pledged to get rid of electronic gaming machines from pubs and clubs by 2023, and that's a massive issue. And we know that the AFL chairman, Richard Goiter, has made it really clear that he'd like the clubs to find alternate revenue streams. So of the 10 Victorian-based clubs, nine draw some revenue from pokies, with only North Melbourne being pokies-free for a decade, which is massive. Five of those clubs derive upwards of $10 million a year from Pokies revenue. However, in the news recently, we've seen two clubs, so Collingwood and Geelong. Um, there's been stories about their decision to move out of gaming. Collingwood, who sits third on the ladder for Pokie revenue at $12.24 million, is deep in negotiations with the Melbourne Racing Club about selling their venues. Colling- uh, Geelong has already shut the venue that was based at their club. And Brian Cook's on record as saying that they want to get out of um, that business because running pokies, venues, clashes with their mission and values. And this is what I want to pick up on, mission and values. Jeff Kennett told media last week that if the AFL was to ban poker machines from clubs, poker machine revenue, it would result in more clubs becoming financially dependent on the AFL. And I think it's funny how financial measures are often used, not just in football, but in life as the only bottom, if not the only bottom line, then the most important one. And I guess I hope that we're moving towards a point where people, like fans and members, demand more from our clubs. Of course, we want our clubs to have on-field success and to be financially viable, but not at the expense of people's actual lives and livelihood. We know that there can be an association between gambling and things like depression, mental health, family breakdown and family violence. Sports at its best, don't you reckon, when it's about passion, health and strengthening community links? I can't really stomach the off-field cost that's associated with such a reliance on gambling revenue. I really can't. Last week, Richmond signed a partnership with the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation and they joined other signatories like Essendon, Bulldogs, St Kilda, Hawthorne, Collingwood and Melbourne Victory. And that illustrates to me that the clubs understand how devastating gambling behaviour can be and that they acknowledge that they play a part in influencing gambling behaviour. So I kind of think it's time that we use our voices, and I know a lot of people have been, but this is me using mine, to let our clubs know that we care about the mission and values of our organisations and we want them to have a soul. We want to be proud of them on field and off. And if the AFL are really serious about the reliance of clubs on pokey revenue, they need to be looking at what systemic changes they should be making to bring it about. Mm. I totally agree. Yeah, it's interesting because I think about, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, how much um, cigarette um, advertising Mm. supported sport. And we saw, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there would have been a similar conversation about people saying, but how do we we prop up the sport Mm. without this? And it has happened. So there has to be a better way. And it it hurts because you're talking about it and I'm sitting here looking, you know, in my mind's eye at the Premiership Cups that we've enjoyed looking at at Hawthorne. And, and, you know, there'd be, there'd be a fair whack of that silver that probably comes from that Mm. money. And that's, 
and I'm not okay with that. No, and no. so we need to find a better way. We need to probably talk to our clubs. And North Melbourne's obviously leading the charge. And when they, when North Melbourne says what, how they go about it, I do feel envious. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Know? I I kind of think that there's got to be some system fault too with the way the game is drawing revenue and being funded. If you can have the on-field success that a team like Hawthorne's had over the last, you know, twenty years, and still require i'm putting that in mm. commas marks because do we actually require that um that you know that revenue um but is the game not generating enough money itself to, for the clubs who are you know because we, there are salary caps and things like that you can't just make you know an extra 20 million dollars and put it into your you know your team list mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that so there are limits but um you know it just it, it makes me query what the you know the smaller clubs like how do they do it how do they how do they fund the same programs? They've got the same amount of, you know, physios and things like that. And you know. it's probably all that extra stuff. Yeah. It's you know, it's building new facilities. It's having bigger swimming pools and yeah. stuff like that. And I don't know. Maybe it's up to finding better new sponsors. Like yeah. maybe that's what it is. And I think I think it's really interesting too what you're saying there, Felicity, because that's one of the arguments against the AFLW is it won't be able to sustain itself. Well, you're pretty much they're pretty much arguing that the AFLM doesn't anyway. So or they can't without the gambling revenue. I think the pressure has to be applied to the AFL. I don't think the clubs are going to be able to do it all on their own. Um, I think, I mean, there's certain individual clubs who are, but there's so many incentives not to. And when the message from the AFL is really in support of gambling and relying on it for themselves for revenue, a big part of their revenue, it's kind of a mixed message, isn't it? So it's got to start at, at both ends, I guess. It's funny because where does all the money go, right? Because, mm. I mean, as Julia Kira said on um, This AFL Life, the AFL doesn't have shareholders. Doesn't have to make a profit. It doesn't have to make money. It can't it make a profit. Exactly. So, so who are the key stakeholders in the AFL? Is it not the fans? Like you got to have a duty of care to the people mm-hmm. who are actually filling your stadiums, right? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes um, gambling revenue is is justified on the basis that a portion of that money goes back into the community, into the local community, and into community initiatives. And last year we talked about those issues, about what that actually really means and what it really looks like, those community initiatives, with Charles Livingston, who's an expert on gambling here in Australia. So if you haven't he- heard that interview, I suggest go back and going back and pulling it out and having a listen to it because he gives a very, um, I think, useful analysis of some of the problems associated with where the money really goes. Yeah, and look, and the reason I'm so silent is I've uh, been affected by gambling in my, you know, my family and um, the effects of it just devastate me that I can't even talk so Mm. yeah I'd say that there's a lot of people listening who would feel the same way and you know one thing Lucy that you said to me yesterday was there would be people who enjoyed those Hawthorne premierships who then go home to a home life in a situation where gambling has affected every corner of that house and that felt like a very stark illustration for me to you know and this is us using our voice I suppose and um yeah I think it's a it's a worthwhile um conversation on the agenda conversation I think it's one we'll keep having Mm -hmm. to be honest you really empowered us last week Kate's here by saying you know if there's things you don't like speak to your club they're going to be getting a (laughs) lot of emails a lot of faxes yeah faxes (laughs) This week, the MRP had some decisions to make and just a 
footnote when I say the MRP, I just mean Michael Christensen Lington. <laughs> Michael Christensen. What's his name? Michael Christian. It's Michael Christensen. Yeah. Or you can call him MRP, whatever you like. Um, Mr. P. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about Mr. P. Can I talk a bit about Mr. P? Well, everyone, I've got a serious, I've got a serious point. Calm down, everybody. Okay. I wanted, I want to make. So I wanted to thank one of our listeners, Bron, who brought to our attention an article that was on the ABC uh, website website this past weekend, which was about Mr. P, um, Michael Christian, and the and the match review review panel, particularly a decision that he made over the weekend about Port Adelaide player Robbie Gray, which has been in the press a lot over the last couple of days. Um, so I just want to read to you how this article began. The first um, line of that article said. The moment he was appointed the AFL's new match review officer and put in charge of overhauling the MRP, Michael Christian would have known his first decision would be the most important. And it went on to describe this as his first ruling, one that would set the scene for the season, one that would um, catch the attention of fans and commentators, and through which, and I'll quote here, commentators and fans will have to recalibrate their expectations for the rest of the season, perhaps because Robbie Gray was suspended and that was unexpected, um, at least among some. So the the tone of this article was all about Michael Christian making this initial decision and what kind of precedent it would set and so on. That was all very interesting, except that Michael Christian had already made 19 decisions this year for the tribunal. So he has charged 16 women in the AFLW and he reviewed a further three um, incidents and decided not to lay charges. I won't go through the names of them all, but I'm sure people will remember uh, people like Taylor Harris, who yeah. who was suspended, Dana Cox, Katie Loins, etc. Um, now, one of the things that we say over and over again on this show is that language really matters, and the fact that women are often excluded or not even um, brought into consciousness is is important. And I accept that sometimes that might seem like a bit of an esoteric or or abstract point. It might not always be obvious why it matters that women aren't even factoring into people's consciousness or aren't part of the equation. But this is, I think, a fabulous example of why it is that um, the dismissal of women's existence really counts. Because if commentators are going to start talking about things like consistency with the match review panel um, and precedent... I know you're going to, every time I say match review panel, now you're going to think of Mr. <laughs> P. Um, but if people are going to start talking about consistency and precedent, um, then, it, then it really becomes a, a factor when we are seeing what is effectively 20 decisions that have been made this year, 19 of which people have forgotten as if they, did, they didn't even happen. They've just deleted them from existence. <laughs> exactly, sure exactly. he remembers them. <laughs> if a player gets suspended in a forest, did it really happen? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I thought about this. You know, I, I thought, imagine if, a, imagine if as a lawyer I got up in front of a magistrate and I said, well, there's not been, never been a single decision about this, Your Honour, except there were 20 that involved women, but I'm not going to count <laughs> those. Just erase them. Um, or imagine if you were in front of the tribunal, perhaps appealing a decision, and you said there's never been a decision on this on this point before, except those 19 cases that involved Collingwood or those 19 cases mm. that involved Hawthorne or those 19 cases that involved Indigenous players, which I'm not going to count. I mean, it's actually mind-boggling to think that, um, that that's been dismissed. 
And what that brings me around to is one of the decisions that Michael Christian did make last week, which I just wanted to talk about because it didn't get a lot of press, Um, certainly nowhere near as much press as the Robbie Gray decision. And to me, it's a very intriguing one. And this is the decision to suspend Sophie Casey from Collingwood for her hit on Cora Staunton, who you spoke about earlier, Lucy Cora Staunton from GWS, of course. Um, So Sophie Casey got one match for um, an elbow to the face um, of Cora Staunton last week and she actually broke Staunton's nose. As it turns out, Staunton has broken her nose four times previously. So, um, you know, we we talked about she plays soccer and rugby and, and Gaelic football and so on. But what happened was that Christian adjudged that incident as careless and medium impact and therefore it attracted just a one-match suspension. And there's been some speculation that the reason it was graded medium impact rather than high impact is because Staunton didn't miss any matches at all. Um, And the reason why she's not missing matches is that she herself elected to defer surgery on her nose and to play on, probably in part because the season is very short and um, as Nicole told us earlier it's mathematically still possible that GWS (laughs) make the finals so I'm just not sure whether Christian got the balance right there I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that a player who has suffered what is a fairly serious injury actually and could be out for a number of games games and has chosen of her own volition to play on um, that that gets factored in and, and it ends up being a medium impact rather than a high one you know what's the difference between Robbie Gray's hit on McGovern, which is a concussion. Do you wonder whether he should be factoring in how much time Cora will have out of whatever else she's going to do Mm. when she has surgery at the end of the season? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here, but I do think it's a really important conversation yeah. to have. What you know, what does it mean? What was that decision right? And it it just flew under the radar um, amongst yeah. all of the Robbie Gray yeah. chit chat, and I think it's an important one. It's also an interesting one when you think about when they look at precedent, and obviously um, Michael, Mister P, is looking at precedent <laughs> because he's actually doing his job, um, unlike some people who think that he's made no other decisions. He must be sitting at home going, hang on, I've been on the clock for like, you know, seven weeks yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when precedent is not is actually predominantly from the men's competition and, you know, I go back to that um, Sarah Darcy kick on Sarah Hosking yes. and I think it's really intriguing that the one and only person who is judge and jury, which is challenging anyway to only have one mm, person's absolutely. opinion, is a man and mm. that there's no women sitting on the MRP for the for the women's game. I find that because it's a, it, it is different. Yeah, because right? if it's talking about the impact on the player, exactly, then that's, it's it is vastly different for a man than a woman to be kicked in the groin. Vastly but also, va- as you say, look, vastly different for women who are playing who are part time playing in a short competition Absolutely. where this is really the only opportunity that they have to make a mark, mm-hmm. and then so someone like Cora Staunton, yeah, she'll go and take annual leave from her job yeah, or something. Yeah. So if you had a woman adjudicating the AFLW MRP who was also a mother of three and was working as a teacher at the exact same time as she was also sitting on the MRP, what she brings to that decision is, you know, a fuller picture that is much more aligned with what Cora Staunton is doing. And the but fact then that I she think has you to go, go down the Then you go down the trail of saying, but then we need somebody who's representative of we'll end up everybody. And you'd end yeah. up, like, then you end up. I'm just throwing it out I'm there. Just, can, I, can a panel I, would be good. Can I say, though, I think, I think they had one of those, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the question of 
of identity politics and who is represented is one thing, but the principles that underpin the decision-making are another. And yeah. to me it's about the principle that underpins the decision-making that's a, a problem. If if we judge impact purely on how many games a person misses, knowing that many of these women, Sarah Perkins did it last year, had several weeks after the season ended having to have surgery and missing out on work and losing income and so on, admittedly made up for under the AFLPA agreement, um, but that to me is a, is another kind of impact which is is not possible in the men's game because those men play and work full time as AFL athletes and so i just think that the the way we interpret and understand impact probably needs to change gee your chat brings the smarts to the yard mm. <laughs> Speaking of the preseason comp, Felicity, you had your eye on it. I, I did and I watched a, a little bit and, you know, I just wanted to say that I actually really, I really love it. I love, not for the the competition because it, that's, you know, it, it's not representative of what, you know, the actual teams are going to be on the actual day in the, you know, when they're playing. But I love that they go out to regional areas and take football out to communities like, you know, Wangaratta and, you know, places like that out in... Yeah, regional South Australia, etc. Um, but I'm also really, really curious about the match that's going on on Wednesday night, which happens to be the night that we're recording today on a Wednesday, um, because we did find out um, from Nicole Livingston that um, they couldn't do anything about the lighting for a night match at um, Princess Park because the AFLW had run out of lighting budget. Um, but then we heard afterwards that maybe the lighting wasn't going to be safe enough um, for the pre-season match of an evening for the men. Um, and the the reason given for the, the difference in the safety concern was apparently there's more people on the field. So it becomes <laughs> a lot more dangerous. So all I wanted to do is um, probably hedge the bets a little and say if you're going to the game tonight, um, take a headlamp or a torch um, just to make it safe for everybody. <laughs> Um, but if the lighting is miraculously better, we'd love to see some pictures because mm. on TV, um, it looks vastly different. The lighting looks amazing when you watch a game on TV and it's only when you go there in person that you see the shadows, um, you know, in the, patches. the, the complete in your eyes. dead patches and mm. uh, yeah, and the, the lights on scissor lifts that are right in the eyes of anybody over Nicole Hayes' height. Um, <laughs> like so <Paul> Lachlan. <laughs> Exactly. So I'm really curious for anyone who's going there tonight to, you know, Send us some pictures. We'd love to see what's going the on. The Oz kickers are going to play Marco Polo at halftime. I <laughs> 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 love it. Um, just, I, I've been loving football too, and I've been enjoying the preseason community series. Uh, I, I enjoyed a couple of games um, last week, but there's a, a negative story in West Coast Eagles win over Port Adelaide at Leaderville Oval. And this comes from Perth Now's reporter, Craig O'Donoghue. He said that a racism storm has marred the community series match between West Coast and Port Adelaide and led two groups of supporters being separated after the final siren. Fans clashed and someone was yelling at supporters with the N-word. An AFL spokesman said the league will be searching through the broadcast vision to identify the people because they take a zero-tolerance approach to racism. And the man's Port Adelaide supporting friends apologised for his behaviour, which was really good. 
And then the people affected said, out of nowhere, he started calling us the N-word because we support West Coast. Security didn't hear it, but sh- people shouldn't be saying that language. We're just here trying to support our team. So a negative blight, but it's good that the league are saying zero yeah. at- tolerance mm. and they're actively trying to find out who did it. Yeah, I think fans behaving badly is something that we're actually starting to see other fans are are stepping up and saying don't do it and I think that's another part of the story that's actually a a positive side, obviously. There would have been times where that had happened and people would have just gone, yep, that's par for the course. It's not anymore, so don't do it. So talking about community footy, we've been interested in a while... Uh, a little while for what happens at local clubs and local competitions throughout Australia. Felicity and I had the pleasure this week of sitting down with Phil Merton, who is the CEO of the Eastern Football League in Victoria. He also played a handful of games for Hawthorne back in the day, as some of our listeners will remember, and we'll think you'll enjoy our chat on grassroots footy and the influx of women and girls. So maybe... Could we start off, Phil, by just um, asking you a little bit about what's happened in this league over the last five years in terms of women and girls' participation? What did it look like five years ago and what what does it look like now? Uh, Yeah, it's changed pretty dramatically. So, um, yeah, four years ago, uh, our female participation in our competitions would have been less than 1%. Um, we introduced a netball comp about four years ago, which has grown from 12 teams in its first year to 70 in 2017, and we think we'll have between 85 and 90 in 2018. Um, and then the growth in girls and women's footy, um, which has been pretty significant as well, which has gone from, yeah, girls has gone from 12 teams in 2015 to an anticipated about 120 this year, between us and AFL Yarra Rangers and senior women's, there was seven senior women's teams in 2015 in this region, and there'll be about 24 this year, we think. So the participation at a percentage level has gone from less than 1% to just under 20%. So for us, that's been fantastic. I mean, females always had a really important part to play in their local footy clubs, and um, yeah, and, and their roles in that and, and what they'd done, but they hadn't been active participants, so that was a real focus of us of ours in our last strategic plan which sort of started four years ago and we're into the last year of that now was to increase that that level of participation and engagement which has been really successful and um, hopefully we can continue to build on that. So we hear a lot of people talk in general terms about um, this huge influx and then the challenges that come out of that with things like ground allocations and resource allocations and obviously change rooms, things like that. At a league level, how do you plan for that when I guess did some of this take you by surprise as well the the rapid expansion um the, the probably the scale of the, the the growth particularly in girls footy um has been the biggest challenge um but it was just about assessing how we're doing things and what we did so for example in the first year a couple of years when the girls competition started to grow and we had 12 teams then we had 37 um, from a fixturing perspective, we used to just try and find where there were spots in our, in our fixture schedule on that day. But we pretty clearly recognised, one, that wasn't sort of the most equitable way to do it, but also, two, with the growth, it wasn't a long-term way. So we actually restructured our whole junior day to create a couple of uh, specific female time slots. One, it encouraged clubs to get girls' teams up so that they'd have a full full schedule of games on a day. But two, it allowed 
the, the guys who do our fixture to be able to yeah, pencil some times in, but also gave the girls and their families some consistency around, well, they know they're going to be playing at this time each Sunday, not one day at 9.30, the next day at 1.30. Um, one of the things yeah, with our junior competition we've tried to always do is have pretty consistent time slots so that yeah, as a parent you know that the kids are either playing at 9.30 or 10.15 or whenever it might be, and that the feedback's always been really positive for that. Um, and we thought it was important that yeah, the girls were treated exactly the same as the boys and yeah, that was sort of a fair bit of work. So the day starts a bit earlier and finishes a bit later, mm-hmm. but we also use it as a chance to reduce a few of the t- uh, size of the breaks. Um, some quarter lengths in a few of the younger age groups are probably a bit too long as well, so we changed some of those around. So it was a pretty seamless transition in the end, and that's, that, that's catered for particularly the time slots. Um, from a facilities perspective, I think everyone's coming to it with their eyes wide open and if we had have waited for the facilities to be at a, at a, at a level where everything was going to be fine, well, we'd be waiting for a long time and government and councils are doing the best they can um, and hopefully there's sort of some more news to come in that area um, to try and sort of, yeah, hasten the, the, the change in facilities. But, um, yeah, I think everyone came to it with their eyes wide open. The girls and their families who'd started the game understood that, yeah, there's probably not going to be that many cubicle toilets and... Um, and that things weren't probably yeah, as, as we want them to be into the future and that everyone's sort of been pretty good in terms of how they've managed that. Phil, can I ask you just a little bit about the, the reasons for the, for the surge in the number of girls and women playing footy? I mean, I think maybe we assume that it's to do with AFLW and I'm sure that plays a, a big part, but you also talked before about it being part of your strategic plan and trying to encourage local clubs. So is this something you've actively been been doing for a while, even before the advent of AFLW? Yeah, so look, the the growth in particularly girls' footy had been sort of coming there, from the start of youth girls, which sort of started up as, a I think, a one-team competition across Melbourne, then slowly was able to be regionalised and then, then was able to sort of be done at league level. Um, that really built the numbers. And then at the same time, that probably started about the same time that Auskick, um started focusing on getting more girls involved in Auskick and their families involved in Auskick. So we started seeing sort of more and more girls come through what had been sort of a traditional male pathway to playing footy. And so we always knew that it was going to come. Like, in all honesty, our region to start with probably um, didn't grow as quick as what some others did. Um, we had a few really key groups, like key clubs in Blackburn and Bayswater and Furniture Gully um, that were really pushing in and got teams up and yeah, for a, a number of years we had some real small comps of four or five teams and it was good but it wasn't probably the, the experience that we needed those clubs to have and, and we just like, we were just trying to find the advocates in clubs to be able to do it because yeah, we didn't want to try and create it artificially at our end by putting in coaches and just getting groups of girls together. We wanted it to grow organically within clubs so that it was going to be sustainable in the long term. Um, and yeah, and then it sort of something clicked, and I think it was a bit probably when AFLW sort of got announced that was going to happen. But I think also um, we combined with AFL Yarra Rangers, um, who are a neighbouring competition, so that yeah, our both our girls and women's competitions are under the Eastern Region Girls and Women's banner, um, and that allowed us to get that sort of critical mass of team, so that it was a genuine competition. And I think everyone then saw, this is good. And the clubs who hadn't had a girls' team thought, well, we were missing out here. Um, and then that, that was really the impetus. So I think combining with AFRA range is really important because it allowed both competitions to legitimise the, the teams who were the trailblazers had done and probably uh, made everyone else sort of stand up and take notice. Yeah. 
Are you also seeing an increase in um, women now coaching um, some of these girls' teams and women's teams? And, and what's, you know, I guess what's the, the difference that you're seeing there in terms of how courses are being structured and attended and run? Yep, so um, I should have got the numbers from the game development guys, but we, we, there are more female coaches now than, than there ever have been. It's still not a huge percentage in terms of um, yeah, the overall number of coaches, but we're running some both female-only coaching courses. So yeah, for females that want to coach, um, they can come and do that, but also some, same, sounds like the same thing, female coaching course, so how to coach females, because we know there are differences, um, particularly the fact that um, a lot of the girls who are playing are new to the game, um, they might not have had sort of two years of Auskick and under eights, nines and tens under their belt when they start playing footy, so you need to treat those athletes, athletes in a different way than what you do, someone who may have been kicking the footy for their whole life and have gone through that traditional pathway. So, yeah, that, that, there are those programs in place and whenever either us or AFLVIC run those courses, they're really well uh, attended. Um, and I think over time, yeah, that percentage of female coaches will increase um, and we hope, we hope, it, uh, hope it does and want to try and advocate for that to happen. Phil, um, I heard you mention before, I think you used the term equitable, you said you tried to make sure that the access to grounds and so on and fixturing was more equitable for girls and boys and women and men um, and I understand that over the last couple of years as a league you've also been doing some research and um, in this space that you ran a survey a couple of years ago around gender equality. Can you tell us a little bit about what prompted that survey, what it was all about? Yep, so that, that was some work that we partnered with uh, Eastern Health, um, Yarra Rangers Council and AFL Yarra Rangers and yeah, they, they wanted to try and look at a snapshot of what was happening in community sporting clubs um, and yeah, what, what, what the involvement of women was, the females were, was, um, yeah, what the, the sort of the attitudes in, in, in footy clubs were um, and a whole range of things. So yeah, they, they did a survey which came out with some really interesting results. Like Some clubs are really proactive, good representation of females on their committees. Um, yeah, what, what what appeared to be really strong cultures in terms of attitudes and behaviours, where there were some other clubs that needed a bit of work. So, um, and yeah, and so that that was when that then led into the establishment last year. We ran a, a Be the Change forum. Um, so we did that. Uh, I think it was in July last year up at Carolica Centre. Uh, we had, I think it was in the end, it was about 180 um, club representatives turn up, which was a terrific turn up between us and AFL Yarra Rangers. Um, Jason Ball was the MC. We had Luke Ablett, um, Emma Grant uh, speak about their experiences in footy, um, yeah, the importance. And, but it was a bit of a round table discussion of clubs and it was actually really eye-opening like for us as a league but also for clubs just to sit back and sort of think and challenge what you do. And that's probably been the main thing with sort of the sudden growth in female participation has been as an as a industry we're very risk-averse and... Um, don't like change but it's okay well how have we done things how do we need to do them into the future what what are the attitudes or behaviours do we need to challenge and even just thinking about things I, I don't think where potentially sort of the issues lie it's because people are inherently bad or are trying to do the wrong thing but it's just you've just done this for 50 years or 60 years and so it just ticks along and then you don't realise that adding another team in well yeah well how, how do we cater for them within our footy club? Where do they train? When do they train? And, that, and that's sort of the conversation that we want to have with clubs. And 
Yeah, we've appointed uh, a new female talent and competitions manager in the region, Jessie, who's that's part of her role as to, okay, yep, having a, either a girls' team or a senior women's team is one thing, um, but how are they integrating the club is the, is, the other, is the other part of it. And, and for us, that's the important part because we want this to be long-term and sustainable. Um, we don't want to... So, uh, right off the back of AFLW and get a <coughs> excuse me a huge increase in team numbers both at junior and senior level and then people but then the ladies involved or the girls involved go well that wasn't really that, that great a place to be so it's about what are the clubs doing but also what are we doing so yeah how do we fixture it um, yeah how do we cover it all of those kind of areas which yeah, is sort of a bit of a challenge and even even things like our presentation night at the moment we're, we're, we're grasping with how do we fit it all in. So yep. we've gone from four senior competitions a few years ago and we're doing a comp restructuring in our senior men's comp. So next year, not the, next year, 19 will be five. So we'll have five sort of senior men's competitions. By then, at least two, maybe three senior women's divisions, um, probably 10 to 12 netball divisions. I had to fit it all in my night. Yeah. <laughs> had to find a venue to fit everyone so, in. Sounds the first like a, thing. Big, a pretty big party to me. Yeah, yeah but, and, and so there, yeah. And, there, and then so for us, you go, okay, well... Um, do we have a standalone sort of female awards night? Which I know the VFA did last year and it was successful, and the feedback from that was amazing, apparently. Um, and on one hand, some people will say, oh, it's terrific. On the other hand, you probably have some people who will say, oh, well, it's not incorporating it all together. And so there, there's a bit of, um, yeah, what's the best way to, to manage it all? Um, but it's a good problem to have. So. That's also a really good sign that it's something that's on your mind here. that you know, you guys are asking the questions and thinking about these things. Um, you know, I really I admire when you're talking, you, you talk senior men's and senior women's um, as opposed to the senior teams and the women's teams. Yeah. And, you know, we talk so often on our show about language and you can see that you've got the language right you yeah. know, in, the, in the way you, you discuss the teams here. Yeah, I think that part of probably what came out of the Be The Change Forum for us was, yeah, how, how do we, across our whole competence, not just senior men's or senior women's, but... Yeah, try and provide sort of some equitable coverage, and while yeah, the senior men's comp is the high-profile comp, get nine thousand people to Bayswater for the grand final, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but on our footy record and our website, sort of what was the spread of stories, what was the spread of pitches, um, all of those kind of things. So yeah, the second half of last year, we got Megan Husswait to come in and do sort of some feature articles on um, yeah, our women's teams and some of the really good stories through that. Um, yeah, we tried to make sure that yeah, the, the front of our record there's a mixture of junior boys, junior girls, netball, senior men, senior women's, um, all of those kind of things. So that yeah, when when people look at sort of the snapshot of the EFL, whether it's through our website, our social media feed, or whatever else it might be, other publications that they see sort of the whole of what the league is. Hmm. Well, in that way, you're leading the the way. I think feel like it's a great example, as Felicity says, about how to engage with your local um, clubs but also how to present a public face that's um, very much incorporating women's sport and yeah it's a challenge I mean, it, I mean, it, it, and it is a challenge at times because there's a percentage sort of different things I mean there's still well, 44 senior men's teams and from a club perspective we'll probably have next year from our competition uh, maybe sort of 15 senior women's teams so there, there, there is sort of the, the need to balance that as well um, and there's a lot of stories that happen like across senior footy junior footy or like the, the whole the whole spectrum so that's sort of something that sort of we 
grasp with all the time and try and work out what the best way to do it is. But it, I think as long as it's in our thinking, it makes us be aware that, okay, oh, yeah, well, the front of the footy record's been a senior male for the last four weeks. And, yeah, if we've had three blokes who have played 300 games, or maybe it's maybe it's appropriate to do that. But at least if it's in our thinking, then it makes you aware of sort of what's coming out and what we're producing. This edition of the monthly that's just hit stands has, again, Hugh Robertson's article, which is Aussie Rules 2018 in Names Only. You may remember I mentioned his in Names Only uh, last season. So this is a great issue to get, some great other articles in it as well. But I just want to mention a couple of things, not to give you spoilers for the whole article, and I have some name suggestions myself, but... One category is, oh, the Hipwood's connection to the side bottom. <laughs> so, Eric Hipwood, Steel Sidebottom, Jordan Foote, Jared Roughhead, Tim Broomhead, <laughs> Melissa Freckleton, <laughs> Courtney Gum, Dana Cox, oh. Aidan Bonar. Oh, oh, no. oh Aiden. Oh. As Aiden, seen yeah. on Better Homes and Gardens, Tim House, Daniel Wells, Clay Beams, <laughs> Mitchell Hinge, Ben Keys, Tom Bellchambers, Magic Door, of course, <laughs> Jack Redpath, James Rose, and Abby Holmes. And just finally, because there's a lot more than this, names suitable for a 2018 re- reboot of Dawson's Creek, All oh. Gossip Girl, Brady Gray. Callista Boyd, Bailey Hunt, Hayley Wilds, Luke Lavender, Hunter Clark, Liam Dawson, Jesse Joyce, Ruby Blair, and Grian Mears. Um, It's like a tongue twister, Alicia. Well done. So good. (laughs) Yeah, but I was thinking um, just with the AFLW, Jordan Zanchetta from Brisbane is such a couture name. I Mm, want a Zanchetta. Um, Zanchetta collection. (laughs) A Zanchetta suit to the brown, though. I'm wearing a Zanchetta. Yeah, exactly. Or some sliced Zanchetta. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that, but I didn't want to relate it to ham. Um, Emma Zilke, hair product, of course. Mm. Um, The Carlton uh, player, Sherlaw. It is the Sherlaw, which is the law of kicking ass, don't you think? That should be a law? No. The law of Sher. Mm. Yes. Uh, Collingwood's... Oh, that shirt is in the studio. That law is wearing no clothes and we won't have that. Um, Collingwood's Duffin is a plot point in a story. And GWS's Privatelli is uh, just the art of being wonderful. Just Privatelli. Or an Italian. I think you'll see on the Academy Awards red carpet, I'm wearing a Privatelli Privé. That's oh, right here. Like a handbag. Or, like that. A nice or, handbag. Handbag. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you know, so there you go. But get this edition of the monthly. That is so good. Uh, ladies, um, we got anything that we're really looking forward to this weekend? I'm heading to Casey to see um, the Melbourne Demons. A big who game. Are playing the Brisbane Lions. It is <sighs> two momentarily versus three. I reckon this is a big, big, big. big. Melbourne needs to win. Melbourne needs to win. Yeah. They need to win. They need to get us. That's if you like Melbourne. If you like Brisbane, Brisbane need to win. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just not to be biased. Hmm. That's a good point. Well, that's me. I want Brisbane to win. So it's you and me, head to head, woman. The estimate that I would like is what time do we need to leave in Friday afternoon traffic to get to Casey from the city? (laughs) 2 a.m. Yeah. I was going to leave now. (laughs) I do love it out at Casey once I'm there. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, I love really? it. Really, unless the weather changes. No, it's right. Ah, There's a really right. good canteen. Yeah. Oh, the canteen okay. is sweet. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else got anything, any final Well, business? there's another game that if you're in Victoria and you want to have a drive, mm. on Sunday, Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs are playing at Moey. And I think that's actually a few games going on with the pre-season of the AFL-M. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, you girls will be halfway there anyway. Yeah. So you can just keep driving Getting out after the, the Friday night match. <laughs> when you hear the word Moey, do you want to sing One Man Went to Moe to Mo Meadow? <laughs> Um, and the other, I mean, there's there's two games with Adelaide Carlton at Norwood Oval, which is a bit of a dead rubber. Sorry, M. Um, Carlton's Ooh. really out, of, I think, for He's a such contention. A Brisbane Lions I know, supporter. but I am. Nicole, but all those maths. You told us anything's possible. Anything is possible. That's what I just hope. If you just believe. But um, I'm excited because hopefully we haven't seen team lists yet. But Kiara Bowers, who we've we've been promised is going to return. It, um, several times now, it does look like she's going to play. So I haven't seen the list, but um, for Frio, she hasn't really had an opportunity to show us um, what she got. She's got injured, missed the whole of last season. So, and she's one of their marquee players. So, um, you know, good luck for Kiara. I hope she can get out there for Frio. And I think that'll be a good game, that yeah, Frio GWS game. Yeah, great game. Well, I don't know who to tip in that game. I don't one. either. I think you're a bit of a secret Frio fan, I am, actually. actually. I do. I have a bit of a thing for Frio. One thing that I'm just totally landing this on you, Kate Sear, because we've done this before, but oh, yeah. one thing I did see was um, Daisy Pierce standing in an ice bath and the, the girls, the Melbourne girls were watching the Titanic and mm-hmm. she was blissing out to Celine Dion's oh, yeah. oh, can we go out with song. That? And I thought, if we're ever going to go out with it, I mean, we have actually got a Celine Dion like well, we had imitation <laughs> artist in the actual studio. So if you want to leave or turn your radios off now, do. But here is Kate oh, Sear closing God, the show. Wa- I haven't warmed up. Doesn't you don't matter. need to. Every night in my dreams I see you, I feel you. That is why I know you. Go on. I'll never let go. Near Grab the door, Jack. Grab the door. You was an escalate. Go on. Alright, cut. Okay, we just went on and on. <laughs> 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 <laughs>